Welcome to Hence the Future podcast. I'm Adam Moore Cronin, and today we're discussing the difference between idea labs and echo chambers. That means we'll get into questions like, why do we believe what we believe? Are our beliefs assigned to us by our parents, by the media, by the environment in which we grew up? Or are we able to come to our own conclusions about what makes the most sense for a given situation based on data and based on our own critical thinking skills? And a lot of these topics are inspired by Wait But Why, one of my favorite all-time blogs. And Tim Urban just had a pretty awesome Twitter thread about this topic. And it really is one of the most important topics for determining where we go in the future. An idealab culture is where people are safe, but ideas are not. So, you know, an example of an idea lab culture would be my text thread with my college roommates, where it'll get pretty heated, where we'll be debating a certain topic, but it's not, we never take it personally. It's not about the people, it's about the ideas. It's a gauntlet where you can test different ideas and discuss them and find flaws in some ideas and strengths in others. And the whole focus of this enterprise is to find the truth. So you're basically filtering out all of the bias and any sort of you know, cognitive biases and misinformation in order to get to the truth. And it really has the air of the scientific method where you know, if something just logically doesn't match up, well, then that idea will fall to the wayside of an idea that does logically match up with what we know about reality. So contrast this with an echo chamber culture where ideas are safe, certain ideas, but people are not. So imagine a, a kingdom with an authoritarian king and anything he says must be true. And if you go against what the king says, then you're not going to be safe because you're, you're disputing a sacred idea that the king is all powerful and all good and you know the best person in the world, even if that's totally false, you have to support that notion for your own personal safety. So you know these are really two types of societies that both exist in America. They both exist within every country in the world uh, to different extents. And you know echo chamber culture is really what we had for most of history. Right? There's these power games where if you're someone who's part of the powerful tribe that's in power, you can effectively enforce your worldview on the rest of the people who have less power than you. So those are the typical dynamics of when you think about like the Middle Ages or even you know, certain darker times in the Roman Empire. And you know, this is pretty, pretty commonplace throughout history. What's not commonplace is the idea lab culture that we've been able to cultivate since the Renaissance, and especially with you know the foundation of America, the world's most robust democracy, and you know the whole culture that goes along with that. And part of why idea labs are so valuable is because when you have an idea lab mindset, you really are an active brain in the room. You're actually thinking independently from first principles about what would make the most sense rather than being someone who's just repeating dogma that they've heard someone else say. So that's why if you're in an intellectual community, like, you know, whether it's my text thread with my college roommates or, you know, certain subreddits 
that have an intellectual bent towards them or certain quora threads or you know it could be it could be anything or even the you know the larger global scientific community in these communities it's really valued to think independently and not to be someone that's just regurgitating what they've heard and it's also very cool to say i don't know because people in uh, idea lab cultures recognize that knowledge is really hard it's hard to say anything about the nature of reality or what is true because you could usually make an argument for the exact opposite also being true. You know, that's why Socrates said he, he knows nothing. And that made him the wisest man in all of Athens because he knew nothing rather than thinking he knows a lot of things. So this is very much what it's like to be in an idea lab kind of culture. And, you know, my good friend Kip, who helps out with our research on Hence the Future, He's the perfect example of this because it's hard for him to say anything definitively without giving a bunch of stipulations about what his assumptions are and why it may or may not be totally correct if you view it from this vantage point. So that's a very scientific idea lab way of thinking. Whereas in an echo chamber, you're not trying to filter out all the biases and all of the misinformation to find the truth you're actually trying to manufacture consensus. So you actually add biases, add misinformation, so that you can justify the conclusion that you've already established for yourself and you're not going away from that conclusion. So I would say to a large extent, the legacy media, mainstream media, is an echo chamber culture. You know, whether it's CNN or Fox News, both of those are they pretty much have their consensus already of what they think about Trump, what they think about this policy decision or that policy decision. So they basically find arguments in support of the conclusion they've already adopted beforehand. Whereas if you contrast this with the quote intellectual dark web, which is people like Sam Harris, like Joe Rogan, like Eric Weinstein, these people are all actively trying to find the truth. And that's why they don't care so much if their guest is Republican or Democrat. And, and in fact, they like having people on who have totally uh, different points of view and are contrarians. Because like I said earlier, you know, that's an active brain in the room. And you can get a lot more value out of someone who's pushing the boundaries of you know, intellectually, what could be could be true, or what we should consider, than someone who's just going to repeat the same sort of points that we've heard time and time again. So I would say the the biggest determining factor to find out whether you're in an idea lab culture or an echo chamber culture is whether the argument is in good faith or not. And what that means is. If the argument's in good faith, it means you really are trying to get to the bottom of the question. You're not just trying to win. And increasingly, we're seeing these sort of gotcha questions where it's not about finding greater, a deeper level of understanding. It's really about winning and owning the other side. And so if you're trying to win an argument, then you're in an echo chamber situation. If you're trying to gain deeper understanding about an issue, then you're in an idea lab culture. And you know, this extends to even like things like Thanksgiving table discussion. 
if it's really uncomfortable for you to be around your family and relatives who might be closed-minded because you know that anything you say that's against the ideas you know that they believe in, they will see you as a bad person. It very much it has a moral kind of standpoint where, oh, if you don't believe this set of beliefs, whether it's you know abortion, gun rights, uh, death penalty, like any number of issues, if you don't have the same opinion that I do, then you're a bad person and you're the out group. We're the good in group. And so this is very much an echo chamber mentality. Whereas if you're someone who doesn't take it personally and say, hey, you may have a different thought about any of these hot button issues, but I'm not going to hold it against you personally, you know, and in fact, I actually respect that you have a different point of view because it helps me think harder about my view. And if you're not considering the opposing viewpoint, then you probably don't understand the issue very well. So, you know, these are really two different points of view to determine whether you're in an idea lab culture or an echo chamber culture. This gets to a related concept, which is straw man arguments and steel man arguments. So a straw man argument is a caricature of what your opponent believes, which makes it really easy to shoot them down and win the argument in an echo chamber type of way. So for instance, if you say to someone like, oh, you want to abolish the death penalty, so you don't care about justice for the people who may have been killed by that person. You don't care about justice. You know, that's a straw man argument. The other person may totally believe in justice, but they just think justice should be delivered in a different way, you know, whether it's life in prison or, or for whatever other reason. So a steel man argument on the same topic would be, oh, you want to abolish the death penalty. Is that because, you know, you have a moral standpoint against the death penalty or is it for practical reasons like, you know, because of how expensive it is to the state to have to put someone all the way through death row and all the legal hurdles that that requires? That's a steel man argument because you're presenting the points of view that they may have that may be legitimate to try to actually understand their viewpoint on a deeper level. And unfortunately, we are seeing a lot more straw man arguments through whether it's the political debates or whether it's through how the media covers certain things. And we're not seeing enough steel man arguments, which you would see on a show like, you know, Sam Harris is waking up, for example. There's a famous Paul Graham essay where he talks about the hierarchy of disagreement. And this is a super useful template if you ever want to determine at what level an argument is being discussed. So you can see at the top of the pyramid refuting the central point. That's the highest level of argument. Below that, there's refuting a key point, maybe not the central point. Then there's counter argument, contradiction, responding to tone, ad hominem, and at the bottom, name calling. So I want to give an example of each of these so we can make this more real. So at the top, refuting the central point. So let's say you're having a discussion with someone about the death penalty and your opponent says, we must keep the death penalty because it does an important job disincentivizing the worst types of crime. Okay, that's one viewpoint. You could refute that central point and say, look, I agree, we should disincentivize the worst types of crimes. However, 
data suggests that actually life in prison does just as good a job disincentivizing crime as does the death penalty. And here's the data so you can review it for yourself. That is the highest form of disagreement on that topic. The one level below that, which is still very healthy, is refuting a key point. So you might not refute the part about it, you know, being important to disincentivize crime, but you could say, well, maybe disincentivizing crime isn't as important as it used to be because we now have mass surveillance that make it no longer necessary because it's so easy to keep tabs on everyone and crime has been falling for so many years that maybe it's not as important for us to be disincentivizing crime through the death penalty as it used to be. Again, that's a fairly, fairly good argument. One level below that would be a counter argument. So rather than you know refuting one of the central points, you could just simply say, okay, I hear you. We should also consider the costs of the death penalty. Because did you know that $4 billion have been spent in California alone since 1978 to pay for all the legal fees that are required to put inmates through death row? So imagine what that $4 billion could be used for to improve society instead of spending it on the death penalty. That's a pretty good argument as well. Once you get below counter-argument, that's when it starts to become a less healthy debate. So below counter-argument would be a simple contradiction, saying like, oh, I can't believe you support the death penalty. You know, so many academics have found it to be problematic. I can't believe you still think it's a good thing. So you're not really talking about why their idea is wrong. You're just contradicting them in a way that just shows you have some superiority. One level below that would be responding to tone, like saying, I can't believe you supported the death penalty and said it in such a cavalier way. So again, you're kind of attacking them on a more personal level rather than discussing the ideas specifically. One level below that, even more personal, would be ad hominem attacks. So saying, of course you support the death penalty. You're just a Republican senator who only follows the party line. So again, you're making it totally personal. You're not really talking about the ideas or the policy itself. And the lowest level is name calling. Like you insensitive piece of shit, you never cared about the lives of people. So that's obviously the lowest level of argument. And unfortunately, on Twitter and in a lot of political debates, it's actually rare to see politicians discussing the central point refuting the central point, refuting other points, talking about their assumptions. It's much more common to see ad hominem attacks, simple contradictions, name calling. So that's part of why I think people are sick of legacy media and social media. And they're more interested increasingly, at least in some communities, with long form discussions that are really about deep levels of insight. One of the topics we've talked about a lot on this podcast is the, the concept of emergence, where you have new properties and greater level of intelligence as you go from the cellular level to the macro level of individuals and even above that to collective, all of humanity, you know, all of a nation, all of the world, all species, all beings in general. And so it's interesting to think about how this notion of ideal labs and echo chambers presents itself on a higher macro level. And 
when all types of people are engaged in idea lab thinking, that's when you have these huge boons in productivity and growth and wealth creation. And you really have this higher mind, almost like this godlike mind that is really using the best of all the nodes in the network, everyone who's really trying to get at the truth to continually push society forward. And this is really how we end up having so much progress technologically and with improving quality of life. It's largely due to this higher level mind that operates on an idea lab type of way, you know, based on scientific method and finding truth and good faith discussions and hard science. Whereas if you have an echo chamber giant, so if you have all of these little echo chambers and they add up to this giant echo chamber, that's when you have things like oppression and genocide and limiting what people are allowed to think and allowed to say. And so, you know, we already, I mean, we saw recently with Hong Kong just had some, uh, you know, pretty big defeat at the hands of the Chinese Communist Party, where now you can be extradited to China in a number of countries. And so if you say something bad about the Chinese Communist Party and you're in Thailand on vacation, you could potentially be extradited to China and face punishment, not because your idea was wrong, uh, but because your idea went against those in power. And that's what it looks like when you have an echo chamber at large. So when we think about the future, it's really important to decide what type of world do we want to live in and how will our individual behaviors of how we discuss ideas, our community level behaviors, how we discuss things in our neighborhoods, in our towns, with our families, with our social media communities, and how does that play into the larger American mindset? Is America largely an echo chamber or a higher level mind? And is the Western world largely an echo chamber or a higher level mind? Is the whole world more of an echo chamber or a higher level mind? So this is going to be one of the biggest determining factors in what happens in the future. This brings us to a question. Are echo chambers getting worse in America? In other words, are echo chambers growing more rapidly relative to idea labs? Unfortunately, it seems based on the data that the answer is yes. When you think about an idea lab, if you were to plot it out on a chart, you would see most people would be somewhere towards the center. You can see good arguments for progressive ideals and conservative ideals, basically keeping what's the best of the past and moving towards an even better future. That's what conservatism and progressivism really are at their fundamental nature or what they should be. So if you're a truly high level idea lab thinker, you're going to be somewhere more in the center. That's what's typical. Now, that's not to say you can't still have some high level thinkers that are really progressive or really conservative. That can certainly happen as well. But by and large, most high level thinkers will be somewhere towards the center. So if you plotted it out on a chart, it would be a bell curve where the highest point is in the middle at the top. However, when we look at the trends of where our political divides are and how they're changing over time, we do not see more people going towards the center. We see the exact opposite. We see people 
widening their viewpoints with every successive year, depending on whether they're a Republican or a Democrat. So I want to highlight some data that will make this more clear. There's an interesting research uh, done by Pew where they measure how people's political stances have changed over time. So they basically take 10 political values and they map out how big the gap is between what a Democrat believes on those values and what a Republican believes uh, per those values. So in 1994, the gap was 15. So you had a you know 15% gap between what a Republican believes and a Democrat believes. In 2017, that gap is 36. So the gap between what a Democrat believes and what a Republican believes has more than doubled since 1994. And a lot of that is likely due to the media, I would say, and the fact that it used to be that everyone watched the same television, they believed in the same set of facts, they had a lot of consensus around what was true. Whereas now we're in sort of a choose your own reality type of environment where you can only like you're free enough to be unfree. You're free to live within an echo chamber where your ideas are never challenged and they're only confirmed. And everyone who doesn't believe in those ideas is vilified and seen as like this evil person rather than actually realizing we're all humans trying to understand some very, very difficult questions. So here, interestingly, when you map this partisan divide, the divide has actually shrunk among other demographics. So the divide between what people of different races believe has shrunk. The division between what different religions believe has shrunk. The dif difference between what people of different education levels have believed or age levels or gender have also shrunk. So the only area that's really grown is this political divide which is really interesting, and I think it speaks to the specific dangers of political thinking in our society. I'll give you another graph just to make this even more clear. In 1994, the median viewpoint was really right in the middle of what was considered consistently liberal and what was considered consistently conservative. Over time, in 2017, that bell curve has flattened out. So now you have not as many people believing, you know, the midpoint of, of uh, conservative ideals and liberal ideals. Instead, you have most people are on the fringes, on the outside. So you can imagine that we had all of America was kind of overlapping in this bell curve. And now it's moving aside so that most people are actually on the extremes and there aren't as many people in the middle. Another important data point is that when you look at the gap in approval rating between presidents recently and presidents you know some years ago more recently there has been a greater and greater gap so the biggest gap is during trump's first year in office only eight percent of democrats approved 88 percent of republicans approved now contrast this to nixon who was also a really controversial Republican president, 49% of Democrats approved of him. 83% of Republicans approved of him. That's a much smaller gap where almost half of Democrats approve of the president to now only 8% of Democrats approve of the president. 
And it wasn't really much better during Obama's years, although it has gotten a little worse. During Obama's first year in presidents, as a president, only 23% of Republicans approved of him, whereas 85% of Democrats approved of him. So you can see this gap is literally widening with every successive year and every successive president. Yes, the trend could reverse, but it hasn't so far. So that leads to the question of where does this end? What's going to happen if the political divide keeps widening year over year? And what can we do to prevent that? I would say one of the biggest ways to improve our culture of how we handle ideas and move society forward would be to focus more on positive sum wealth creation games, like, you know, let's revamp our energy sector, let's create more innovation, let's do public works programs, let's do things that are going to be good for everyone in our society, rather than status games where you're really pulling someone else down so that you can be on a higher level than them. And unfortunately, I think part of the challenge right now is because of what's going on in the economy, it's really hard for people to not have any game to play. And when their wealth creation game has been taken from them, where they don't have a job, they don't have a way that they're actively contributing to society, then they tend to fall into status games of, oh, well, the reason I don't have a job is because someone else is evil and I'm going to tear them down. And, you know, Jeff Bezos is evil and all of these billionaires are evil and we need to take them down. We need to take down the police. Like Basically, we need to tear everything down. And rather than focusing on building, like how can we build a better society using the strengths of everyone? The billionaires should contribute more. You know, everyone should should do what they can to improve society. So I think the big challenge for us in the future is going to be how do we get more people to play the wealth creation games that are positive sum and less people playing the zero sum status games. So my proposed solution to get there is to pass some form of UBI, because if everyone can at least pay for the necessities of life, like a roof over their head, some food, you know, quality education, then they will have the freedom and flexibility to solve problems that they're best at solving. And they can contribute and get a real sense of worth and become part of this positive sum wealth creation game, which is an idea lab mentality. But if we don't give people the tools to contribute to society and to choose their own path in life, then they're just going to see anyone who's making it as being an evil person who didn't deserve what they got and therefore we should tear them down. And And I see this growing and I think that it's hard to understate the economic source of this. So I, I truly believe that the single biggest thing we could do to create a greater culture of idea lab thinking is to pass UBI so people have flexibility to pass universal health care so people know that at least they're covered and they're not going to go bankrupt if they get cancer. Uh, some form of education for all, which teaches people to be ideal lab thinkers so that they can be nimble operators in this new uncharted digital world rather than a factory worker who does one specific job like a cog in a machine. And I think we need to probably change the way we discuss important topics like our political debates should not be 
short, quick soundbite, gotcha questions. They should be more long form podcast discussions where you can actually get into all aspects of a problem to really find the best solution rather than focusing on winning and pwning the other side. Let's talk about the worst case scenario. Worst case scenario. In the worst case scenario, the trend of echo chambers growing relative to ideal labs will continue to accelerate. And you could imagine already the partisan divide is so great that if it gets much greater, it may become very easy to dehumanize the other side, where Republicans and Democrats see each other as not even really being human. And that could lead to a civil war. I mean, that sounds kind of ridiculous at this time, but it's not something that has never happened before in history. So I would say that's one worst case scenario. Another would be, maybe it's not an actual civil war, but it leads to a situation where whichever group is in power, whether it's you know the woke left or the far right, that they treat the other side so terribly that it's almost like they would rather see the other side lose than see us all succeed. And you know that would also be a really bad situation. We could fall into authoritarianism on either side. We could fall into more of a fascist authoritarianism where you have very limited freedoms and you're being watched at every move and a, there's, a, there's a fundamental mistrust of people, sort of like a Big Brother 1984 scenario, which is largely playing out in places like China already. Or you could see more of like a sort of chaotic, like Venezuela type of socialist society, which you know, socialism has failed in every time it's been tried. I think UBI is fundamentally different because that's a capitalist path and there still are the incentives for people to do better than whatever the basic level of income is because you're always going to want to outcompete your, you know, you know, potential competitors for mates and for all of the evolutionary reasons that we know are, are very important in driving human behavior. So whichever direction we go down, whether it's towards the left echo chamber or the right echo chamber, really the result is the same, which is that you have a situation where it's not the best, most robust ideas that rise to the top, but it's the people who rise to the top based on their identity and whoever's part of that identity in-group that has the most power will be able to enforce their worldview on everyone else. So literally could happen on the right or the left. They would definitely be different worldviews, but the result is the same. You know, you wouldn't be able to say what you think and have the best ideas rise to the top. Let's talk about the best case scenario. Best case scenario. My best case scenario is that ideal labs become more robust for having to endure the onslaught of echo chambers right now. And I think that's already happening to some extent where you can see the intellectual dark web is sort of evolving on its own, separate from the legacy media world, where Sam Harris, Eric Weinstein, people like that, Yuval Noah Harari, they really are honing their ideas and making real intellectual progress 
even if the mainstream world is still stuck in the same old battles that are on a very tribal basis and not really about finding truth. So I could see in the best case scenario where we're really going through growing pains right now. And because the internet is still relatively new and recent and this world of being able to decide what news sources you want to consume and the tendency for people to want to consume only the news that confirms their pre-existing beliefs, that that may just be a growing pain stage. And we may get beyond that to a point where we are so robust against the traps of echo chambers that we actually are able to create an unprecedented level of productivity, technical growth, and improving the quality of life for everyone. And I think that will necessarily require some form of UBI because currently, whichever group ends up creating an AI that can do the work of any person and it's infinitely scalable because it's software. So whether that's Google or OpenAI or Apple or whatever group it is, that group is going to have tremendous wealth. And anyone who's not doesn't have some of their stock or doesn't have some equity in some other company that's doing really well or some assets that are really valuable, i.e. the vast majority of people, will be totally left out to dry. And if you can't contribute to the positive sum wealth creation games, you're likely to fall into the power games of status, which are zero sum. And so I think we will necessarily need to pass UBI, some form of healthcare, and some form of education for all people if we're going to achieve the best case scenario. Now let's talk about the most likely scenario. Most likely scenario. For my most likely scenario, I want to talk about a quote from Eric Weinstein where he said that really what he sees happening right now is that intellectual dark web is, quote, keeping the lights on. Just like how during some periods of history, when literacy rates went down and plagues rose and battles were dividing society, you still had some intellectuals who were keeping the lights on, who were taking note of history, who were trying to move the ball forward for human progress. And I think that's the likely scenario we have right now. I think we haven't yet seen a reversal of trend where idea labs are growing. We're still in the part of the trend where echo chambers are growing faster than idea labs. But you can't forget that there are some robust idea labs out there and some communities like I hope hence the future is where we really aren't trying to win. We're really trying to understand the truth and we're trying to push society forward for all people. And we don't care about dogma and we don't care about what someone says. There's just repeating an idea because that supports what they already believe in. We really want to challenge ideas with this podcast and find a deeper truth. And I know there are other people out there like this. I mean, I hear from them every day and there are, you know, bigger platforms than mine, which is, you know, Sam Harris, Eric Weinstein, all of these intellectuals who are really doing the work of pushing society forward and questioning what our assumptions are. And so I'm hopeful that I don't think that's going to die out anytime soon, even if it becomes a smaller 
culture relative to the echo chamber culture, I think ultimately truth does win out in the end because truth resonates on a visceral level where falsehoods do not. So I think falsehoods, it's really hard for an echo chamber to totally swallow society because there's always going to be people who instinctively know, hey, something's not quite right here. The only question is really how much pain are we going to have to endure before we emerge as a new idea lab, higher minded culture. And I think uh, if I had to predict, I would say in the next five to 10 years, we will switch from a predominantly echo chamber culture to a predominantly idea lab culture. And that that will stage, set the stage for incredible productivity down the road. So I think that's a good place for us to end it. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out anytime. This has been the future of ideas, and we'll see you next time. The past, the present, and the future.